A content warning, this episode of Single Malt History contains discussions of sexual and physical violence. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Single Malt History with Gareth Russell, pouring out your serving of pure, distilled, intoxicating, and occasionally delicious history. Hello, welcome back to Single Malt History and a slight switch in our schedule. As I'm traveling this week, I'm going to post the episode on Silken Thomas's Rebellion next week, as I won't be able to check a translation I've done, which I hope or think is right, but I'd like to check it again against the language books I have to be absolutely sure. And so I'll be moving up this week's offering on one of the earlier Queens of England, Matilda of Flanders, who became Queen Consort through the conquest of 1066. Matilda of Flanders was born in a violent era in which she married a violent man. She was the mother of violent sons and first lady of two countries that were controlled largely by violence. Indeed, her marriage itself may very well have begun in violence of the most intimate and personal nature. Upon hearing that her father Baldwin planned to marry her to Duke William of Normandy, who was the illegitimate son of a Viking-descended duke, Matilda refused, telling her father that she would rather die than marry someone as ill-bred as William of Normandy. The contemporary chronicler Orderic Vitalis tells us that Matilda was not alone in feeling this way about William. Thanks to his birth out of wedlock, William was described by Orderic Vitalis as a bastard despised by the native nobility. William, however, was determined to have the royally descended Matilda for his wife, thereby increasing the prestige of his upstart dynasty. How William overcame Matilda's objections is contested in medieval sources, one of which the Chronicle of Tours records that upon hearing of Matilda's words, William rode to Baldwin's estates and barged into Matilda's bedroom where he beat her until she agreed to marry him. Another horrible version is that William raped Matilda. Some say in her bedroom that day, another source claims it happened one afternoon when she was out hunting. With her all-important virginity now so brutally snatched from her, it was impossible for Matilda to marry anyone else in her social class. So, as William had known, when he committed the assault, she therefore had to marry him. It's unlikely that we'll ever know which, if any, in fact, of these horrible stories are true. And I say, if any, as it's just as possible that Matilda never made those comments about William's ancestry and that the story of her objections and his cruelty on hearing of them were fabricated later by their enemies or by gossip. That is possible, but I should also say that with William of Normandy, the depressing conclusion is usually that the most horrendous option is the one he took. As with most of her contemporaries, Matilda of Flanders' date of birth is unknown. It was probably in 1032 or 1033, not long after the consummation of her parents' marriage. 
Matilda was the daughter of Baldwin V, Count of Flanders, and his wife, Princess Adele, the King of France's youngest daughter. As a result, baby Matilda's grandparents included King Robert the Pious of France and his Queen Constance of Arles. Like her father, King Robert, Princess Adele was an exceptionally religious woman, even in an exceptionally religious era. She would later be nicknamed Adele the Holy by admiring contemporaries, and she imparted this profound love of Christianity to her only daughter Matilda, along with an excellent education which Adele personally oversaw. As with most fathers of the age, it is likely that Count Baldwin was more interested, certainly politically, in his sons than in his daughter, and in that regard Baldwin V was lucky, for he and Adele were parents to four sons, Baldwin, Robert, Henri and Richard. Henri died as a baby, but the other three boys flourished. Baldwin V was an intelligent and dedicated regional ruler, who spent most of his life attempting to increase the wealth and security of his county, aims that were constantly frustrated by internecine opposition from the local nobility who were disapprovingly described as figures of atrocious cruelty by religious scribes at the time. Still, by the time Matilda reached her teenage years, Baldwin V's efforts on Flanders' behalf were clearly paying dividend. The foundations had been laid for a strong infrastructure and trading network, which would continue to grow throughout the Middle Ages, until Flanders became an economic powerhouse of Europe in later centuries. Thanks to her parents' ancestry, Matilda of Flanders was one of the more well-connected of the European princesses born in the early 11th century. She was a direct descendant of the famous Western Christian Emperor Charlemagne, the most venerated Christian monarch in Western Christendom apart from Constantine the Great. She was also descended from King Alfred the Great of Wessex, whose reputation was already becoming legendary in his native England not too long after his death. To her intelligence and connections, Matilda could also add that she was very good-looking. She's described by her contemporary, William of Jumiage, as a very beautiful and noble girl of royal stock. There is a story repeated in the Guinness Book of World Records that Matilda was to become the shortest of England's queens. But the idea that she only ever reached four foot two in height is based on, we think, an inaccurate measurement of her bones undertaken in 1819 when the restored French monarchy was attempting to undo some of the damage done to the royal tombs by the revolution. A more scientific exhumation of Matilda's bones in 1959 established that in fact she grew to about five feet in height by the time she reached maturity. As she approached her 16th or 17th birthday, that was when her father began to seriously consider the aforementioned match between his only daughter and William, the 20-something Duke of Normandy. Like Flanders, Normandy was technically an independent nation, although feudal overlordship for Normandy was held by the French crown. Flanders, which roughly equates to much of modern-day Belgium, was heavily under the influence of the neighbouring Holy Roman Empire, roughly equating with modern-day Germany and the Czech Republic. Baldwin was anxious to remove his province from the Holy Roman Empire's orbit. An alliance with Normandy could help pull Flanders more closely under the protection of France, a process started a generation earlier by Baldwin's own marriage to Princess Adele. 
Normandy also had considerable diplomatic influence in England, a very wealthy country which needed to be neutralised from Flanders' perspective, since the English king had promised to help the emperor in subjugating Flanders if it made any further attempts to defy him. Having seen Baldwin marry Adele for much the same diplomatic reasons in the time of his late father, the Emperor Heinrich III was predictably nonplussed at the idea of their daughter Matilda marrying William. Luckily for the Emperor, he had been instrumental in securing the election of Pope Leo IX, who along with doing many commendable things during his time as pontiff was also a pragmatist, which is sometimes a polite word in history for morally acrobatic. Pope Leo IX was prepared to help his imperial ally, and as Baldwin and William hashed out the details of the marriage proposal, an edict came from Rome forbidding it. William and Matilda were fifth cousins, a very distant relationship that nonetheless technically placed them within the grounds of forbidden affinity. And in this case, unlike in so many others, the Holy Father unhelpfully refused to dispense the impediments. However, our image of the papacy holding absolute power over European politics in the Middle Ages comes from later in the period. In the 1050s, whilst the papal throne exerted considerable influence, it had not yet reached the heights of the later Middle Ages. The Pope's refusal to bless the marriage plans were certainly an unexpected irritant, but it was not exactly the disaster it would have been for later generations. Matilda's own grandparents, King Robert and Queen Constance, had faced down papal disapproval about their marriage for similar reasons, despite their deep religious piety, which King Robert's sobriquet attests to. Moreover, Christian marriage in the 11th century was by no means the tightly moderated and venerated sacrament that subsequent generations of believers were to elevate it into. It was not really until the following century that church teachings on marriage were to become far more consistent and, crucially, consistently applied. In the 11th century, there was a great deal more room for manoeuvre on matrimony, and so both parties were prepared to run the risk of Pope Leo's displeasure. William of Normandy needed this marriage just as much as did Baldwin V. It would stabilise William's rule in Normandy by providing him with an alliance with both Flanders and the Royal House of France, thanks to Matilda's family on her mother's side. Matilda's exalted ancestry, as mentioned, would also help remove the worry many felt over the fact that they were ruled by a man nicknamed William the Bastard. William was sufficiently desperate to secure the alliance with Flanders to proceed without papal approval or even a dowry for his wife. Baldwin's enthusiasm for the match had not diminished either, and so Matilda was escorted by her father to the church of Notre Dame d'Eau in the winter of 1051, emerging from the church as Matilda, Duchess of the Normans, and a married woman. Whether she was still recovering from physical or sexual violence, we don't know, but the rumour that she was began near her own lifetime. Who was Matilda's husband? Whatever the truth in the rumours about how William secured their marriage, the fact that so many of his contemporaries believed the worst, and that even sympathetic historians have not been able to dismiss them entirely, says a lot. 
As mentioned, William had been born out of wedlock to Robert the late Duke of Normandy and his mistress Herleva, the daughter of a tanner from the town of Falaise. Having led a particularly dissolute and violent life in which he was either in bed or in battle, Duke Robert attempted to make amends by going on pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem in 1035, leaving his seven-year-old son behind him as heir-designate to the dukedom. Duke Robert died on his journey to the Holy Land, with the result that the defenceless William suddenly became Duke of a region famed for its political instabilities. Several of young William's guardians were murdered by their rivals in one particularly horrible incident. William's mentor and friend Lord Osborne had his throat slit one night as he slept at the Chateau at Vaudrier in the same bedroom as a sleeping William. Perhaps it is therefore no surprise that William matured into a ruthless leader as well as, it must be said, one of the most gifted military strategists of the century. In his determination to crush the rebel lords in Normandy and secure his own political freedom, William asked for the help of his feudal overlord, King Henri I of France, Matilda's uncle. Grateful for William's loyalty to the French crown during recent rebellions, King Henri came to William's assistance at the Battle of Valédun, fought by a victorious William when he was aged about 19 or 20. That victory over his rebel lords at the battle established William's twin reputations for brilliance and brutality. Never again would William allow anyone to mock him or even question him politically. His servants described him as a mighty man, ready to acquire everything within his reach. And that which he acquired, he would, with a strong hand, steadfastly maintain against all challengers. Physically, William was about 10 inches taller than his wife, standing at about 5 foot 10 with cropped hair and a clean-shaven face. Unlike many of his contemporaries, William also had a relatively high level of personal hygiene and liked to keep himself clean at all times. Not long after their wedding at Notre Dame d'Eau, William escorted his wife back to his citadel at Rouen, after which he left her to go off fighting again, this time suppressing rebel lords in Arc, Pontieu and the Vexen regions. With her husband frequently off to war, Matilda settled into the duties of a duchess. Normandy was a wealthy province, and as its duchess, Matilda was now, in her own right, an independently wealthy woman, drawing a huge private income from the estates which were hers by right of her marriage contract. Aristocratic women of the upper classes had far more financial independence from their husbands in the 11th century than their later equivalents would in, say, the 16th or 17th. Throughout the first decade of her marriage, like Normandy itself, Duchess Matilda became richer. Thanks to the expansion of towns like Rouen, Bayeux and Cannes, with the latter in particular owing its success to the industry of its Jewish settlers, as well as the commercial success of the wine-growing regions in the south of Normandy, the duchy's prosperity was increasing, which in its turn meant that William and Matilda's income rose along with their subjects. Continuing in the pious legacy of her mother and grandfather, Matilda donated much of her excess income to the church, despite the fact that her marriage was still technically invalid in the eyes of the Pope. As Duchess of the Normans, Matilda was also expected to act as hostess to high-ranking foreign guests. From the little documentary evidence left to us, it seems that Matilda was a popular Duchess with the people and with guests of the Duke. 
Aside from her intellect and beauty, Normans were seemingly generally pleased that their lord's wife had such an exalted bloodline, such things being a medieval obsession. When exactly the marriage between William and Matilda became a happy one by contemporary standards is unclear. If we are psychologically speculating, and also I think except the darker stories such as the Chronicle of Tours, which I mentioned at the start of the episode about the start of their marriage, I think we might surmise that Matilda developed a sense of Stockholm Syndrome. All we know for certain, however, is that there are an above-average number of contemporary comments indicating William and Matilda's closeness to one another, which has led to some historians strongly querying the accuracy of the tour's account. Either way, Matilda became the mother of two sons, Robert and Richard, within the first three years of her marriage. This was followed by another four children on an average of one per year, including the couple's first two daughters, Cecilia and Adeliza, then a red-haired son, William, and another daughter, Constance, named in honour of Matilda's grandmother, the late Queen of France. The election of the pro-Norman Pope Nicholas II in 1058 was good news for the couple too, as the new Pope retrospectively legitimised their marriage and their children, declaring that Matilda's marriage had always been true and lawful. In gratitude for the Pope's decision, Matilda and William founded more religious houses in Normandy from their own private income, taking a great interest in their upkeep and management. William paid for the foundation of the enormous monastery of St. Etienne, dedicated to the patronage of the first Christian martyr, St. Stephen. Matilda financed the creation of the beautiful convent of the Holy Trinity in Cannes, sometimes known as the Abbey aux Dames. The funding and building of Holy Trinity was one of Matilda's great passions. Years later, her eldest daughter was to enter that institution as a nun. As a member of the reigning family, Cecilia of Normandy would eventually become abbess or reverend mother of Holy Trinity. Since, as historian Henrietta Leiser has noted in her 1995 book Medieval Women, A Social History of Women in England, many flagship religious houses considered royal blood in their abbots or abbesses to be an essential prerequisite for the prestige of the monastery or nunnery in question. By the end of this period, 50 houses in England and France had drawn their abbots or abbesses from the ranks of either the immediate or extended royal families. As was the case in her own childhood, Matilda was determined that her daughters would receive an education equal to or superior to that of their brothers. Cecilia, Adeliza and Constance were all educated by the nuns at Holy Trinity, as were their younger sisters, Adela, Agatha and Matilda, who arrived in the Norman nursery later. All of the sisters, particularly Cecilia and Adela, were highly intelligent and deeply religious. At a young age, Adela developed a great devotion to the cult of St. Helena, a long-dead Roman empress credited with becoming the first member of the imperial family to convert to Christianity, and who had helped uncover some of Christianity's holiest relics. It was felt that the Saint Empress Helena's conversion to Christianity had been so instrumental in securing the future of Europe as a Christian continent that both she and her son, Emperor Constantine the Great, were sometimes referred to by Matilda's contemporaries as equal to the apostles. Matilda and William's three sons, Robert, Richard and William, were not unintelligent by any means, but they were wild, boisterous and aggressive, and compared to their sisters, 
arguably less well-educated. Matilda's sons also had their father's temper, if not quite his ruthlessness, a detail which would prove a fateful flaw in Robert and a blessing in the younger William. After the birth of Constance, there was a period of a few years in which Matilda was not pregnant. We're unsure of, of how many because of our uncertainty about Constance of Normandy's date of birth. But it was during one of those unencumbered summers that Matilda was to entertain a guest who would radically alter both her life and her family's, Harold, Earl of Wessex. Along with also being Earl of Hereford and Earl of East Anglia, Harold was the King of England's brother-in-law. Earl Harold had not come to Normandy in happy circumstances. He had been shipwrecked and captured by the Count of Ponthieu, from whom he was liberated at William's insistence. Coming to Normandy to spend the summer with his liberator, Harold was under no illusion that William had only helped him in order to extract and exact a political advantage. Despite all the manners and banquets to welcome him, Harold's summer stay in Normandy was really nothing more than captivity in a pretty cage. Thanks to Matilda's hosting and charm, of course, it was a very pretty cage indeed, with the finest silver and food available for supper and feast, the best rooms made available for their guest, and excursions and hunting trips regularly organised to show Harold the best of William's duchy. As that summer wore to a close, William made it clear what he wanted from Harold, which was his support when the time came for William to claim the English throne. The current King of England, the aged Edward the Confessor, was a deeply religious man who may very well have taken a lifelong vow of celibacy in honour of Christ and of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Even if he hadn't, and historians debate about the vow back and forth, King Edward was certainly childless and in poor health. Half Norman on his mother's side, King Edward had made it known that he wanted his second cousin William to inherit the throne when the time came for Edward to meet his maker, although, like Elizabeth I, half a millennium later, Edward was being frustratingly vague about putting it in writing. Many in England would have preferred to see the crown pass to Prince Edgar, a young cousin prince with a much better blood claim to the throne than William of Normandy. There was an even larger body of opinion which wanted to see Earl Harold himself come to the throne once the saintly Edward was dead. To complicate matters further still, there was a faction keen to revive the closeness between the English and Scandinavian monarchies in days gone by, and they were urging King Harald of Norway to seize the crown of England once Edward was dead. With four claimants promising a nightmare of a struggle for the English throne in the years ahead, William wanted Harald's assurance that he would not pursue the crown after King Edward's death but that he would instead lend his support to William, with not much chance of ever getting home again if he didn't. Harold allegedly swore on holy relics to support William's claim to the throne of England, and to cement this alliance by one day marrying William and Matilda's second daughter Adeliza. The eldest daughter Cecilia's intention to embrace a religious vocation was already clear. With the promises made and Adeliza betrothed, Harold returned home, and William waited to see if he would keep his word. Edward the Confessor died in London on the 5th of January 1066. He was buried in the institution he had helped found at Westminster. 
On the same day as Edward's death, Harold was proclaimed King of the English. William immediately began to prepare for an invasion of England. Fully on her husband's side, Matilda paid for a state-of-the-art worship the Mora from her own coffers to carry her husband across the Channel to claim what she felt was rightfully his. Before departing for England, William called together his lords and ordered them to swear an oath of loyalty to his eldest son Robert, who was to inherit Normandy if his father fell in battle. In the meantime, however, Matilda was to be left in charge as regent of Normandy, until or if William returned from his war in England. The legend that Matilda spent her time sewing the epic Bayeux tapestry that commemorated her husband's campaign in England is sadly nothing more than a 19th century romantic addition to her life story. It gained a degree of modern fame when it was included in Tony Kushner's two-part play Angels in America, the story of several gay love affairs at the height of the AIDS epidemic, in which Matilda's fortitude in sewing and waiting for William to return to her is bitterly contrasted to those who will not stay with their loved ones in modern times. It's a beautiful scene, if delivered right by one of Angels in America's most deeply flawed characters, Lewis, who refers to Matilda in the play as La Reine Mathilde, but unfortunately, as with so many of the juiciest or uh, most sentimental stories, it's unrelated to the real Matilda, who had an entire duchy to run whilst William was off at the wars and almost certainly had no role in the creation of the famous Bayeux Tapestry. William had left behind to help Matilda three of his most trusted political advisers, Hugh d'Anchat, Roger de Montmorency and Roger de Beaumont. Matilda was also pregnant again, and while pregnant, ruling Normandy and worrying about her husband, she had to deal with the heartbreak of burying one of her children, Adeliza, King Harold's jilted ex-fiancé who died at the age of 11 to one of the many childhood illnesses that were a tragic mix of common and unpreventable in the 11th century. It was unclear when Matilda would see her husband again, as the situation in England was shaping up to be every inch as terrible as many had feared. Before William even landed in England to invade it from the south, another rival for the throne had invaded from the north. Harald Hardrada, king of Norway, arrived with a sizable Viking army. But Harald II, king of the English, marched north with his men who defeated and killed the Norwegian king at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Then, in the midst of the celebrations for victory over the Norwegians, King Harold heard that William and his Norman army had landed on the southern coast. Harold made a mad dash with his already exhausted army, engaging the Normans in battle near Hastings on October the 14th. And as every British schoolchild knows or should know per the curriculum, Harold lost. As legend has it, he lay dead upon the field with a Norman arrow piercing his eye. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle put it, The king fought very hard against him, with those men who wanted to support him. And there was great slaughter on either side. There was killed King Harold, and Erleofine his brother, and Earl Geirth his brother, and many good men, and the French had possession of the place of slaughter. A place of slaughter was right, and it grew from there. William set about subjugating his new kingdom with unparalleled ferocity. He was crowned king in Edward the Confessor's splendid abbey at Westminster on Christmas Day, taking as his title with nary a hint of irony. 
the most serene William, the great and peace-giving king, crowned by God, life and victory. When a rebellion against him erupted in the north with the aim of putting the claimant Prince Edgar on the throne instead, William swept to Yorkshire, implementing the so-called harrying of the north, the sole aim of which was to accomplish a revenge fueled annihilation of the northern economy, resistance and support for Prince Edgar. Prince Edgar and his sisters and their mother managed to escape across the border into Scotland, where they were granted asylum. But throughout the rest of England, the local aristocracy was obliterated as the new Norman aristocracy became detested as a greedy, distant, brutal ruling class. With his position as king secured, William returned to Normandy and to Matilda, presenting her with some of the royal jewels of England when they were reunited at Fécamp. The new Queen of England, now about 34 years of age, was soon pregnant again with her daughter Adela, who was always treated with greater respect by some of her contemporaries, because unlike her sisters and her elder brothers, she had been born in the purple, meaning when her parents were a king and queen rather than merely a duke and duchess. Ignoring the perils of travelling as a pregnant woman during the Middle Ages, Queen Matilda crossed to London for her own coronation as Queen Consort and the birth of Adela. By the time Matilda's coronation was organised in the summer of 1068 to coincide with the Feast of Pentecost, Matilda was pregnant again, this time with a son who was to be named Henry, destined to become one of the most popular names for English kings, and possibly inspired by Matilda's cousin and William's one-time ally, King Henri I of France. With William and Matilda, both in England, Normandy's government was left in the care of their eldest son, 15-year-old Robert. Now that she was queen, Matilda's life was certainly grander, but not much different in essence to her life as duchess. It seems her focus continued to be primarily on Normandy rather than England. She did, however, come to enjoy the great wealth and respect that English people accorded to their queens, as both the mother of the heir and the mediatrix of mercy interceding between the king's justice and his people, in much the same way as the Holy Virgin Mary was believed to throw her cloak of mercy between God's righteous anger and a sinful humanity. As Queen, Matilda used her newfound wealth to continue financing and expanding the Holy Trinity convent back in Cannes, and she enthusiastically supported the reforms of the English Church, which her husband and his confidant, Archbishop Lanfranc, were introducing, including the prohibition on priestly marriage and an equally firm prohibition on the selling of church offices. Under his wife's influence, King William became more and more religious as he grew older, and the Queen's household was noted for its regular attendance of Mass, as well as its exemplary morality. When William took a mistress, Queen Matilda was hurt and enraged, so much so that after their arguments about it, King William allegedly ceased his adulteries altogether. The years passed for Matilda in luxury, security and moderate, if increasing, popularity, which says something for her personally given the intensity of loathing and fear that her husband and his knights evoked in the native English. A decade after the conquest, however, things began to take a turn for the worse from Queen Matilda's perspective. 
To her parents' joy, Cecilia finally took the veil and became Reverend Mother of Holy Trinity, while her younger sister Agatha was married to Alfonso VI, King of Galicia y Leon, kingdoms in the Spanish peninsula. Young Queen Agatha, however, was dead before she could join her husband in Spain, and her death was the first that Matilda was to endure in the space of only a few months. Not long after Agatha's death, excuse me, her brother, William and Matilda's second son, Richard, was killed in a hunting accident in the New Forest, where he was gored to death by a stag. With Robert in line to inherit Normandy, Richard had been the heir designate for England, and that position now went to his tall, muscular, red-haired brother, William. Two years later, there was a terrible family quarrel, which, as with so many of the royal family squabbles in the Middle Ages, quickly took on the characteristics of a minor civil war. Having essentially been acting as de facto reigning Duke of Normandy, with full care for the province for the last decade, Robert was incensed when his father announced his intention to start splitting his time more evenly between his two domains, thus curtailing his son's power in Normandy. A mightily peeved Robert threw himself headlong into a huff that carried him all the way to Paris to enlist the help of his mother's cousin, the King of France. Despite courtiers' opinions that Robert was a proud and foolish fellow, Queen Matilda was indulgent towards her eldest son. She continued to secretly send money to Robert even after his enraged father cut him off financially following his escape to Paris. Matilda's maternal love became something much more important politically when some of the money she had sent was used to support Robert's ragtag rebel army based out of Geberoy, the chateau given to him by the King of France. Despite this, William I refused to reprimand his wife for the money she had sent to Robert, despite its warlike implications. And 18 months after the quarrel began, the King agreed to Matilda's tearful entreaties that he should give Robert more permanent and open authority in Normandy if that's what it took to bring him home. When asked by her husband to explain how on earth she could have continued supporting Robert's quasi-treason, Matilda gave a heart-rending answer which perhaps indicates just how devastated she had been by the deaths of his brother Richard and his sisters Agatha and Adeliza. Oh my lord, do not wonder that I love my firstborn with such tender affection. By the power of the Most High, if my son Robert were dead and buried seven feet in the earth, and I could bring him back to life with my own blood, I would shed my lifeblood for him. The royal family reunited in Vertois in northern France for the celebrations to mark the betrothal of William and Matilda's 14-year-old daughter Adela to a local nobleman, Count Stephen. Evidently delighted by her peacemaking abilities, Matilda then encouraged her husband to visit his estranged half-brother Odo, the Bishop of Bayeux, who, in being enormously rich, father of several illegitimate children, and a mace-wielding warrior noted for the glee he took in clubbing his enemies to death, made for a somewhat unconventional priest. Odo and William had been comrades in arms during the conquest, but they had subsequently fallen out over politics. Under Queen Matilda's mediating influence, the brothers reconciled. There was no sign that we can tell 
that Queen Matilda was unwell, as she made arrangements for the marriage of her daughter Constance to Alan IV, Duke of Brittany. The Queen seemed in equally good spirits when she and William attended Adela's wedding. But in the autumn of 1083, while in Normandy, the Queen of England fell ill. King William stayed with her throughout the illness, helping her to dictate her will, in which she left huge amounts of money to the poor, and then her royal sceptre and crown to Holy Trinity Abbey, where she hoped her daughter Cecilia would lead the nuns in prayer for her soul, and that prayers for that soul would continue to be offered at Holy Trinity until Christ returned again. Matilda of Flanders, Queen of England and Duchess of Normandy, the acceptable public face of one of the most brutal regimes in English history, the wife of one King of England, the mother of two more, died in Normandy on the 2nd of November 1083 in her early 50s. It was the Feast of All Souls, the great Christian Day of the Dead, and as per her final wishes, her body was escorted in the presence of her husband to the Abbey of the Holy Trinity, which she herself had founded. Matilda of Flanders has been the ancestor of every king or queen of England, Queen Regnant I should say, since 1087. Thank you and back at my own desk next week, tune in for our next episode on the fascinating rebellion of Silken Thomas.